Hey, welcome to another installment of the Nominee Interview Series. This is the audio version. Um, so we have four episodes that are going to be happening in audio version this year. The rest of the interview series is, as always, available on myentertainmentworld.ca in print form. Um, but we have four of the installments that are happening on audio form um, because anytime we interview an ensemble or production nominee, we prefer to have the whole group come in and do an audio interview so that the listeners can get a sense of the group dynamic and the interpersonal dynamics um, at play. So this is one of those. This is the production team behind the doll play, A Miniature Revolution, um, which is nominated for three awards this year. Um, and unfortunately, we had to cancel the awards ceremony, which was supposed to happen on April 6th um, because of COVID-19. But um, what we're doing instead is we're extending the nominee interview series, and then eventually we'll be announcing the winners um, of the awards on the website itself and holding on to these trophies until eventually we're able to assemble again. And when that happens, we promise we will be getting uh, trophies into the hands of the winning artists. Um, but for now, what we have is the interview series. And so I hope you enjoy uh, listening to these artists talk about their work. Um, all of the questions for this interview were provided by the nominating reviewer, Dominic Harvey, who's one of our staff writers who loved this show when he saw it. And he is responsible for these three nominations that the doll play has gotten. He also wrote the introduction um, that accompanies the article that goes with this interview. So if you want to read a little bit more from him about the doll play, that is all available at myentertainmentworld.ca. As are lots of other things. We have a ton of content happening right now, especially on our podcast feed. So if you, uh, it's a great time to subscribe. We have, as always, we always have our favorite series and our Shakespeare series and some standalone episodes happening. Um, but we also have additional Corona content that we created to sort of deal, help us deal with social isolation. So we have the Corona Movie Club and the Corona Cold Read series, both of which are putting out multiple episodes a week. Um, so you can check all of that out. We also have lots of ha- things happening on my ent world, my ent world on Twitter and Instagram, um, as well as whatever's happening on the website, my great time to check out all of that content. Um, one little thing I do want to note about this interview you're about to hear is that it was recorded a while ago. So long before, um, Corona and social isolation happened. So that is why all these people are in one room together. And also you're going to hear them mention some upcoming projects that unfortunately are no longer happening. Um, hopefully we will get to see some of them in the future. Um, but for now, anything that does get mentioned, um, in terms of upcoming projects that are happening, supposed to be happening sort of in the immediate future, Obviously, um, just a side note, unfortunately, those have been canceled already, so don't get confused. Um, But uh, yeah, so a little bittersweet, but I hope you enjoy this interview. Um, It's certainly an interesting conversation about an interesting play. I'm Joanne Sarazen. Uh, and you were the playwright and director. Yeah, playwright and director, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Long day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both of those things. <laughs> I'm Chris Hayes. I'm a producer, and I played Ken. And I'm Brianna Dillon, uh, also producer, uh, and I played Anne. Um, so we've inter- interviewed Brianna before, so I'm going to ask the other two our go-to introductory question, which is, do you remember your first experience with theater? Um, well, when I was younger, I used to, uh, dance, I used to do ballet until I, uh, hit puberty. Uh, and then they were like, you're not allowed to do that anymore. 
Um, and I remember being so horribly uh, depressed, and I was in the library with um, my godfather, who has since passed away. He was a wonderful um, man who took me to the library once a week. Um, and we would always read plays together. We'd read a lot of George Bernard Shaw. And he said, well, if you like being on a stage and you like reading these things, then why don't you look into classes like this? Um, and then through that, I got into acting, and then I realized there weren't um, great roles out there for people who weren't a specific type. Um, and I discovered I liked writing and directing a lot better because I'm a control freak. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did, I did. I started doing theater in high school. I did not start in elementary school because there were plays there, but I always, because I played piano I guess and people knew that I could read music I always got stuck in the Orf Orchestra um, which always really pissed me off so I played the glockenspiel in elementary school but then in high school I started doing plays so I think uh, the first play I did was uh, Robin Hood and uh, I had one line and it was I think it's a racket and that's where it all started (laughs) Brianna catch us up on life since last year's nominee interview series um, since that, um, I've done the fringe two years, two summers in a row. So first dates in 2018 and then, um, the Huns last summer and then prepping for this, uh, cause which boy is our company. So we've been prepping, we started prepping for this, I guess, right? Actually it was October of 2018 we'd gone to a friend's wedding do you know mark pachi mm-hmm. we went to his wedding and we were talking to bryce hodgson who runs grand canyon theater and he was like what are you guys doing now and we were like we're not really sure and then we had mentioned joe's play and everyone was going that sounds amazing yeah it just sort of fit for, it, yeah it came up really organically because they were just like oh yeah we was sort of like we're like punks and you know we want to do like weird shit and, and we're like well I was like I know someone who wrote a play about a lot of dolls who come to life and are anyways and so and he was just like that sounds great so yeah and he's like I have a space now so right on. But the whole planning always takes a while right mm-hmm. it's kind of so that was October and then we finished in June Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A year ago. As you mentioned, it is quite a high concept play. Where where did this all come from? Um, well, it was a bunch of things. I had done a draft of it when it was sort of a germ of an idea, probably about two years ago. That was vastly different. Both of these people uh, read it, um, mm-hmm. and then I reworked the entire concept of it. It basically came from. Um, I mean, I don't know how much information to go into about my own personal life, but uh, but it came from doing uh, therapy as a child, and then thinking about um, sort of the, those uh, did he touch you there dolls, which I always found so absolutely absurd uh, as a form of therapy, and then realizing that they've sort of um, are no longer in fashion, and so it started with what happens to the dolls when they're no longer in fashion. <laughs> Um, and I also just wanted to explore sort of like a, a trauma and abuse um, through a sort of um, through conduits so that the audience could sort of like safely deal with that trauma. And also, I don't know if it's a comedy, but I always think my stuff is funny. <laughs> I don't know. It, it is. is. It is. Um, <laughs> it's very dark. 
But in order to have the comedic elements that I wanted to have within a play and to write what I wanted to write, I thought it was important to have an absurdist element to it. Right. Yeah. Is it easier to explore the really dark issues through non-human subjects? I completely think that it is, certainly. Um, And it's also just like, particularly when you're doing independent theater, you're asking a lot of favors from a lot of people, and particularly from your actors. And you're asking them to be really vulnerable for no money um, while they're working 14 jobs at the same time. And so to give people the opportunity in whatever format to access what they need to access safely, I think is a sort of a responsibility of anybody who, who writes or directs or creates. Um, and when you add an absurdist slant to things, um, then you can allow your actors to go a bit nuts, which is always the most exciting stuff to watch. And you find uh, better moments through that, I think. So as producers, what attracted you to this project? We love Joe and thanks guys. (laughs) (laughs) And we wanted to do something original. And, uh, yeah, we had done, we had done sort of more, um, well, I guess, uh, no, I was going to say we had done more like purely kitchen sink stuff before, but that was pretty much just the play before it. But, um, yeah, it was mostly, we just sort of wanted to, the the challenge of an, an original piece that, um, hadn't been done before. Um, and just kind of wanting to work with Joe and, um, it just, the concept, um, was so strong and unique and we just thought that would be um, something great to explore and she wrote really great parts for us did you hand pick them because you were producers or did you audition and what was it about Anne and Ken that really struck you um, well uh, I sort of I wrote several parts with sort of people somewhat in mind. I knew that because Bree and Chris were producing, I knew that it was important to have uh, certain roles. And there are certain people uh, that I work with a lot. Adam Driscoll, I work with a lot. Laura Vincent, I work with a lot. Mike Vitorovich, I work with a lot. So Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was important to, when you have a cast that big and you're on such a time crunch... Um, it's important to, I think, have at least some people there that speak the same language as you. It just makes the job a lot easier. Um, and we had all worked with several of those people before. So I knew that there would be sort of like a natural dynamic and warmth between a lot of members of the cast. Um, when I was first writing it, I wasn't sure, like for Brie, for example, I was like, oh, she could play Barbie. She could play Anne. And then as the character developed, I was like, she's got to play Anne. That makes the most sense. Um, and so, and then for Ken, uh, we had a conversation, Chris and I, sort of midway through, that if we uh, if we wanted to switch things around, he would make a good lion. So, I mean, there were sort of um, there were sort of multiple ideas, but there was sort of like a, a, a general Anne and Ken about it all when it came to these two. And then for I'd say how, how many people did we audition? We auditioned three roles. We auditioned three roles, and then we did workshop the piece uh, in three different iterations, so three drafts. And so we asked actors that we knew to come in and read out of the goodness of their hearts, and they did. Um, And through that, people just sort of like naturally either offered or um, volunteered, or we asked to sort of fill certain roles. And then the ones that we um, didn't fill, we held auditions for. Mm -hmm. Um, And how did you guys feel about this specific Anne and Ken? What drew you to those characters? 
I mean, I mean, Ken is a smarmy bitch, and that's like kind of like my mm, hit. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's. Um, you, you know, so it's just, yeah, so I, I mean, I just read it and I, and she was like, oh, you could do this, you could do line. And I was like, bitch, I'm clearly going to do cat. Like, you know that. Let's yeah. not. So, yeah. So, I mean, he just sort of suited me well. I mean, I wish that I, I like, like to pretend that I, like, really look like a Ken doll, but um, I don't actually, but. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so it just—I think it just sort of fit the best, and I was like, I can have a lot of fun with this, and um, yeah, you did, you yeah. did, <laughs> I did. Yeah. I did. Um, for me, I didn't really know who I was going to play. I feel mm-hmm. like after a couple of readings, I think I'd kind of said to Chris, I went, "Has Joe actually said if or who am I gonna am I gonna be the doctor or Anne or like I didn't know mm-hmm. and just and then trying to find a Barbie like." to find someone like we were so open with all of these roles too. So there wasn't anyone that had to fit into the idea of what that character was. But, um, I'm so glad cause I got to work with Adam Driscoll as my, as my brother, Andy. And, um, I just loved working with him and it was, it was a challenge in the sense that I know for me, you know, to be, positive and excitable and to do all those things but it was so hard for me to sustain that for so much of it so as much as I feel like I am positive and outgoing it was hard to keep that alive for a long time and then even when it was this it was always can you go bigger (laughs) going oh my goodness I don't know (laughs) so I yeah Spoiler alert, you could. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's sort of become your hit, this, like, really positive person who's putting it on, sort of putting it on for the people around her, right, to keep up the energy. You played a similar thing in the Huns, and even in What Happened Was, there was that sort of positivity, right, and, like, upbeatness. Yeah. Um, So how do you feel about playing that dynamic, and what is it that you find compelling about that? Um... I enjoy it because it can come from... It's rooted in so many other things. It's not just being a happy person. It can actually be quite the opposite. You know, trying so so much to be what you wish you could be. Or what's the alternative, you know? Like, not going not going down, not going... It, it is a challenge just because it's so real in everyday life. How we survive, how we cope, and also... As we try to fight through whatever it is that we're dealing with or whatever's going on in our lives, it doesn't mean if we have a breaking point or anything by that, that we're bad people or something is, you know, we're not, it's okay. Or also with certain things, it's, oh, she's crazy. And you're going, no, like she's trying. Mm, <laughs> yeah. She's not crazy. She's trying. Yeah, she's trying, but it's, uh, yes. <laughs> I really love that. I'm going to get that tattooed on my neck. She's not crazy. She's having a bad day. Yes! (laughs) Um, So both in the writing and performance, you're dealing with 
iconic characters that we all have a really nostalgic connection to. Mm-hmm. How did you go about incorporating the like sort of iconography, the legendary aspect of these characters with more rich, complex, three-dimensional portrayals? Um, I well, it w- that was particularly like the most recognizable characters are probably Barbie, Ken, and Skipper. And so, with Barbie in particular, it's the idea of the feet. Um, the fact that she can't stand and then how that sort of affects her psyche and the idea, particularly um, with, uh, I, f- I find from, from my experience uh, with a lot of people who suffer from depression, this idea of just like you could get out of bed if you wanted to um, and uh, you can't. So I wanted to sort of explore that and Barbie was just such a great conduit with which to do so, particularly, be- particularly because of like just sort of like the patriarchal um, things that have been imposed on her and cause her to be such an awkward um, plastic object. And then with Skipper, I mean, when I was researching Skipper, I was like, is she her sister or daughter or what is the dynamic here? She's just like a mini Barbie with like slightly smaller boobs. I love that that's actually addressed in the play. Exactly. Ken's like, go attend to your daughter or sister or whoever. And so it was just sort of like exploring that dynamic of, of and also what happens in sort of um, I like to explore motherhood a lot and sort of um, any sort of uh, sort of um, familial sort of relationship where people have sort of um, uh, a sense of responsibility for a character. And then also with Skipper in particular, it was sort of the budding sexuality. Nobody takes teenage girls seriously, um, you know, and sort of exploring that through her interactions in the, the play. And then with Ken, I mean, it was just so clear you know, his sexuality, like two people who are supposed to be a couple who don't have the genitals to have sex with one another, so they don't fit together, and yet they live together um, in this house of broken plastic. So it was just sort of, I mean, it was just such a great way to explore the sort of dissolution of a marriage and uh, sexuality and mental illness within that sort of grouping. And then with some of the others, I mean, animals were really, really useful in terms of um, what we see pigs as, looking at Animal Farm, all that sort of things. The way we look at lions, that lions are just incredibly powerful. And um, Amy Maticio, who was in the show, talked about how her son will beat up on all of his toys except for his lion, but his lion is always powerful. Um, and so I thought that was a really great image. And... Um, and then uh, bears in particular, sort of like cuddly and things that you cry on and nurturing. And then the idea of porcelain dolls, these like ancient babies um, <laughs> and, like, who are just sort of coming <laughs> apart at the scene. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, and once again, I mean, it's a whole play about um, certain people not being taken seriously who should be, and particularly women. So to have a you know, a, a thing that is so knowledgeable that looks like a child and is treated like a child, I thought was interesting to explore as well. And a porcelain doll is a great way to do that. What about in the performance of these iconic characters? Because you were Raggedy Ann, right? Like it's mm-hmm. Raggedy yeah. Ann and Andy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had one of those. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess like performing like phys- physically or just how they. Well, and, uh, and in the character, in terms of fleshing out this idea of something that was sort of by definition one dimensional. Yeah. Um, I think a lot with Ann and Andy, it's siblings, you know, and that. that 
the caregiver. Um, cause even in all of the, in the program we've enlisted, I forget what the, all the, mm-hmm. all the work, but Anne is the caregiver mm-hmm. and pig is, I, f- I forget what they all were, but everyone kind of had their one leading. Yeah. You were of, the beta male. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The program that's what everyone's listed mm-hmm. as the beta male and the caregiver. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, the caregiver, but just siblings and even just, you know, what wouldn't you do for your, your siblings or for your family? And even for your friends, as adult, as it kind of happens with everyone in the show. Um, but I mean, <laughs> the one thing, because um, Adam and I hold hands, like because the dolls are like together, and we were together for half more than half the play, I think. So there's always that that physicality, that literal physicality of having his hand, and then there's a moment when he lets go of my hand, <laughs> and it was always very. Very hard, but that... It's <laughs> a hard play to do. <laughs> it was awesome. I loved it. But yeah, the, the literal physicality, not just how someone moves and stuff like that, but having, being tethered to someone and having that person to lean on, literally, and then to then have to be on your own and find out what you want. And I mean, yeah. What about for you? Well, I just thought it was fun to sort of take an archetype and kind of de-archetype it in a way like break it down and you know uh, I mean Ken is the beta male like part of that goes into you know Ken is like the afterthought to Barbie really and his existence is defined in relationship to Barbie pretty much he's not a doll that like exists really on his own you know it has just a Ken doll yeah yeah yeah. like just like let's go home and play with my Ken dolls I mean that actually sounds really great to me right now but um um, so it was sort of fun to to, and and, you know and he's just very presentation superficial and he's has all of these outfits and, and that was um so it was fun to kind of take that superficial image as a starting point and you know, to then look at in a more sort of honest human way, what causes that and what's underneath it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Ken was like a, a deeply dissatisfied character with, with where he was, his position in the pecking order with the other dolls. Um, so it, it was just, it was sort of fun to start with an archetype and then expand and break it down and eventually kind of uh, explode it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I thought that was really fun. Um, so you use the phrase it's a hard play to do um, which brings me back to the the humor element and was it um, how did you go about finding exactly the right balance for dealing with really dark issues and then making sure that you kept it light enough that you could handle those issues Um, I mean I'm I'm Still not sure I got it, but (laughs) there were certain moments I thought that worked really well. I found the banter between Barbie and Ken worked really, really well. Mm -hmm. Um, Lion was really useful in that because as the sort of white male where nothing bad ever happens to him, you can really... um, make fun of that and really use that as a tool for humor um, because he's not really going through anything and that's the joke so um, that was kind of uh, that was a good way to sort of do that and then I found that um, comedy in general for for me particularly uh, tends to work the best um, in large groups 
scenes because there's a musicality to it that sort of happens. And so I found that with the doll play, once I got everybody into the room and allowed their sort of energies to play off of each other, that was when the comedy really started to um, sing, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also you just write some characters that are allowed to be funnier than others, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. The banter between oldie, young, yeah. and Ken was always hilarious and then (laughs) (laughs) and I just called her a see you next Tuesday yeah Yeah, but everyone loves that (laughs) (laughs) so looming above all of this drama there's a whole other story playing out with Mm -hmm. the doctor Um, can you tell us a little bit about making sure that you sort of represented both stories even though one is not really seen as much yeah well, um, when I first started researching the the play, I wanted to explore something called vicarious traumatization, which um, is something that uh, a lot of um, psychiatrists and psychologists um, experience where they sort of take on um, the trauma of their patients. Um, so I read a few books about that. And so initially the doctor was just somebody who was suffering from vicarious traumatization and her trauma was going to be sort of like manifested. Her self-loathing was manifested by these dolls taking on her, her guilt, her shame, her anger, all these various qualities, her fail, her failings. Um, and then their idea of wanting to punish her was her own self-loathing. And that's a very interesting Idea, I still think, but uh, it doesn't give an actor a whole lot to do on a stage. And also, I thought it was, once again, I really liked sort of the mother-daughter sort of dynamic. And so I wanted to explore the idea of, of what was it, it's the vicarious traumatization, but what does that make her do? And that makes her neglect her child. And what is the outcome of that neglect? And then also the idea of when you know everything, what happens when something happens that's beyond your control? Because the entire point of the play is that everybody thinks they know something. All the dolls have their archetypes, and then something blows it up. So something had to happen to the doctor, too, for that to occur within her own life. Um, So, yeah, so that's why I chose to sort of separate the two worlds. Um, But in reading it, I mean, maybe I could have fleshed it out a little bit more, but... Everything that happens within the crux of the play with the dolls is a sort of reflection on the steps um, the doctor is taking that eventually allows her to go home and face her daughter. And the last scene being with Anne and Andy telling her to go home. And so I, I think that having a human element to ground the play and a human story to ground the play um, gave everything sort of more weight and purpose. That makes sense. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, from a producing point of view, this was was this the first play at the Grand Canyon? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. The so very first. Show. Tell us a little bit about basically launching a venue with like your piece, <laughs> and what were some of the challenges of working in a new space. Um, there, I mean, there were, <laughs> no, there were a few, yeah. listen, I mean, it would, they, they did a great job. Um, they, they work really hard and, um, you know, they put a lot, they have put a lot of, um, Bryce and Bree and uh, who run the place and also Quinn, who was our lighting designer, but he was sort of a, an in-house Grand Canyon addition to our team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's it's super hard to 
there's just a lot of logistical stuff that has to happen. Yeah. Um, a lot of that was happening sort of still right up until while we opened, which just by its nature of being the first show, it's going to be a little bit more chaotic. There were, um, you know, there, there were like sightline issues in the, in the risers that had to be dealt with. And, um, yeah, you know, just a We're couple just of with a other blank slate too. So, yeah. it's, so there's nothing else to go by. It's not like when you go to 102 or those other places. You're going, oh, I've seen it be this. I've seen it be this. Right. You're just going, okay, what are we doing? But also, how is this going to actually function? And yeah. then they were still building the bathrooms and right. trying to figure out the green room. I mean, our set was pretty minimal. But the one thing, because um, it was still. Um, the weather was still becoming spring at that time. So, you know, you're going, how cold is it going to be in here? And, but, you know, all those things just kind of yeah. evolve and then you get the lights so, on. So there were a lot of challenges, but it's, it's not, it's all part and parcel of indie theater. Yeah. It's like the place used to be a, like a car garage now yeah. we're yeah. bringing yeah. 10 dolls to life in it. Like, yeah. so it's, it's just, it's not, you know, they're, they're, yeah. it's all part of the, it's all part of it. Yeah. And uh, so it, it, you know, it is. It can be hard to be the first show in a space. It's only natural that it would take a little while to iron out some kinks. But yeah. I guess, but I guess that was part of the fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. We just, you know, new, brand new play, brand new space, brand new. We'll just make it all. We'll just christen everything. Yeah. <laughs> I love that about the Grand Canyon. If you bring a non-theater person to it, they're like, "Are you taking me to the garage right yeah. now?" Yeah. <laughs> it's you know a really nice thing about it is they have those like really high ceilings, which is such a um, luxury in indie theater spaces because um, so that was really that just sort of you know gives it a bit more of a grand feel hence the name Um, and um, yeah so that that was that that's uh, the part that makes that that's sort of the the physical characteristic that I think makes that space really special for indie shows Mm -hmm. it's the height now you can build a whole house in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so tell me about the shadow puppets and the, how that was conceived and then also how it worked in practice. Um, so the puppets were something that I really, really wanted to do to just have a visual point of reference so that we could, um, as Chris said, sort of take the archetypes, blow them apart and make them more human while still having a visual reference point. And then there were also just like certain things that... Um, we just couldn't uh, do because we're a, you know a small company and we don't have a ton of money. So you know, pig getting fatter, we couldn't necessarily do. Like the death scene, we couldn't necessarily do. So there was certain ways in which we could sort of heighten the reality and have sort of a, a, a focal point. Um, so I thought shadow puppets would be great, and I did a lot of research. And then uh, one of my uh, best friends in Ottawa had made several uh, shadow puppets for her nephew's birthday. So I went to Ottawa and uh, we gave her a little bit of money and um, we smoked some pot and she made me some shadow puppets. <laughs> <laughs> um, and her name is Kathleen Atkinson Hindle and she makes beautiful um, art. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yes, and so then uh, I figured it would be a lot because there's a lot going on on stage. So it would it was important to me that we film it um, and then play it through a projector, um, just to make life a lot easier. That way, we didn't have to have actors manning shadow, shadow puppets because it's it's also such an emotional play. I mean, it's it's a lot of emotional work, um, and things happen really really quickly because there are so many characters that the actors I think. It, um, 
could use some time to, to make those emotional leaps. Um, so we had pizza and beer and, um, my, uh, lovely friend Gary Probert brought his camera and filmed, uh, a lot of the actors doing the shadow puppets. Uh, and then my great friend Bon Ma edited it into clips and our wonderful stage manager, uh, Caitlin Brennanman, um, uh, uh, made it happen. Magically, yeah, with the help of of Quinn from Grand Canyon, yeah, the most helpful human being in the world. So, yeah, so it was a real sort of labor of love, and it was really um, a generous. I mean, the actors didn't have to show up; it wasn't their rehearsal day, and they showed up and they played with puppets, and we had a good time. There's a lot of like love and uh, collaboration that went into it, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it turned out so well and and I know we were getting down to the wire and even they got mailed to us you know where are they they're in the mail they're, they're traveling mm-hmm. <laughs> and just getting it all together but it was really special and the photos that we took who took the photos during that Bon Bon yeah because yeah. even just the behind the scenes it's just gorgeous watching everyone holding up their little sticks and mm-hmm. getting it all just so and-, and I just thought it was such a cool way to establish like the mythology of mm-hmm. right off the bat you know it has something about shadow puppets it's like it's you know well well they're talking about the world and we see like the images of these archetypes and they're felt it just felt very like joseph campbell to me and you know um i I just thought it was a really cool way to build the mythology right Mm -hmm. away off the bat off the top of the play exactly and particularly as well with like a new space i mean we weren't uh, Mike Vitorovich designed our set, but and uh, but we had no idea um, when you're just new to a space, you don't know how things are going to work, sight lines, various things like that. And because our set designers was also our actor, we wanted to make sure that the workload wasn't overwhelming. And so, something that can help with a set in a new space that is just something that is cued that you press play on that can help with the world I think it's very very useful and then Mike built us a wonderful set anyway Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so when it comes to directing your own work are you changing things throughout the rehearsal process that were on the page or is it pretty much set and then it's reimagined in the in the space when it's on its feet and how did it change um it really depends. I mean, certain lines changed and certain things like that. Like, you know, if, a, if an actor said, like, I don't think... I mean, uh, Jonah, who played Lion, said to me once, I don't think Lion would ever end a sentence with a preposition. Uh, and I was like, how very Lion of you. Go ahead and change it. Um, <laughs> um, so, like, there was a few sort of, like, tweaks and that sort of thing. Uh, the only really big rewrite was one of the scenes with Barbie and Skipper. We had our first or second rehearsal and I sent them an email that was just like, I don't think I have given you the right thing. <laughs> I don't think this is good enough. And so I rewrote that scene and it it was much better. But largely speaking, I mean it was pretty true to it, what was going it did on. not it did not like change on the fly, mm-hmm. if that's what you mean like in the um in the rehearsal, I mean, with the exception of that scene that you sort of rewrote, but it didn't. Joe is extremely respectful of like people's time <laughs> and like what she asks of them. So I, I mean, I, I think that um, 
you sort of didn't want it to feel like we were workshopping as we were rehearsing. She yeah. was very made a point to make those two processes very separate, which I thank you for. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I mean, it's also easier, I think, for for it, when you're a writer and a director, it's 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 nice to compartmentalize those mm-hmm. things um, so that you can just get more work done and be where you have to be and have your head in the game that you're playing. As opposed to being like, that line's terrible. Like, you just, yeah. for me, I, I don't have the capacity to be both those people at once. And so no. I wanted to have sort of different times in which to do that. Also, you don't want to open it up to like 12 different people's input on the Also, there were so many of them. Yeah. There were so many of them. Yeah. Yeah. How did the finished product compare to sort of what you'd originally envisioned? Was it dramatically different or was it pretty clear, close to what you'd seen? It was pretty close you know what I mean uh, there were certain with with everything that you do that sort of live theater you have to be sort of open to the sort of um, experimentation um, and also you know like you don't go in there and give everybody line readings and say like this is the way it's got to be and so uh, some of the characters there were there were moments that sort of like changed and evolved through the process and things that I didn't think um Things that I thought worked beautifully that worked in a completely different way. Things that I didn't like that the actors made a, a lot better than it had any right to be. Um, and uh, but all in all, it was it was pretty close. Mm-hmm. It was pretty close. I feel yeah. like just finding the last right fits for those remaining characters. Um, and maybe you'll hear more when you talk to Susanna Mackay uh, for Pig. Um, particular I think when we were doing that audition because mm-hmm. that yeah. could have been many things and I don't know how that oh. would have changed the dynamic mm-hmm. but definitely her take on it and what she brought into the room was really something special and unique and we really yeah exactly. I really I remember when she left still we were going whoa how do you like that that was yeah so I feel like that was a yeah. really interesting way that allowed the show to become what it was and then because then the relationship between her and Laura Vincent for oldie like that and mm-hmm. the way she dealt with Skipper and Andy yeah I think that was the most interesting thing for me is just when we actually found everyone because yeah it can go a lot of different ways and exactly and everybody brings their own sort of flavor and particularly as Bree saying about pig I mean we auditioned both men and women yeah People did vastly different auditions that were all excellent, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and ultimately Susanna did a, a wonderful, wonderful job. But it's just one of those things where you just wait for somebody to come in and, and bring what they bring. And it is a true ensemble piece. How much thought did you put into the idea of like chemistry and the different pairs, like Andy and Anne, when you were putting something together? It wasn't about each individual person fitting a role it was how they fit into the larger chemistry of the piece yes yeah I mean particularly like Anne and Andy are both like characters that have to reach like sort of very vulnerable places Um, and I knew that Adam and Brie would take care of each other and so I thought that was a really wonderful coupling Um, I we auditioned uh, Brittany but I knew Amy Maticio separately Um, and her and Chris just have like that 
body banter that I think would be uh, really great with one another. Um, because initially, a- Amy was a part of our reading, but she didn't read for Barbie. And that was something that I thought about later, and I thought she would do a really great job at. Um, particularly because I thought her and Chris would be wonderful together. Um, and then when we auditioned Brittany, uh, it was amazing how well that was just luck. I mean, Brittany Kay is just a wonderful actress and she came and auditioned and was exceptional. And, um, and we put the three of them together and they were exceptional together. And so in a lot of those, um, relationships, you just have to sort of think of who's going to bring the best out in each other. And also nobody was a jerk, which was amazing. (laughs) Like everybody was just a really warm, kind, there was no diva behavior. Everybody was just trying their best and was really considerate and kind with one another and just wanted to make a really beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And we all weren't actually together, I think, until our dress rehearsal, though, because mm-hmm. everything was little, like, everyone kind of had their partner, and Chantal was kind of a solo, mm-hmm. the doctor yep. bit, but it wasn't until dress rehearsal that absolutely everyone was all there. And oh, we're wow. Going, wow, everyone's here. It is a nightmare to schedule <laughs> that many actors who are, like, working day jobs, and, yeah, oh, yeah, it was just, like, it was just, like, physically impossible to get us all in the same room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for yeah. a lot of it. But yeah. it, ha- it happened in the three-week yeah, run. Yeah, it did. It, it did eventually. And- yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so what were you all hoping audiences would take away from the piece? Oh, we were hoping for a lot of tears, just oh, yeah. just just looking out into the audience and just seeing wrecked, ruined people. Um, <laughs> That's a dream. It's I think I saw some of that. Oh God, yeah, yeah that was me. That yeah. was me. <laughs> like that person was crushed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no. for me, I was just super excited to do something original and different, and pushing the limits, or just getting people to think differently and have an experience, you know, not seeing the same show that we've seen or the same story that we know. And, um, yeah, I was just excited for the whole, the whole ride of it. And, uh, and people came, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, people did come and now we're sitting here discussing it, you know, like people, people responded to it. And And, and a lot of people did have strong, a lot of people really did have strong reactions to it. Um, that, you know, it touched something. I think Joe got a lot of nice messages and people telling her, you know, that it, that it, it touched something in them. So that's, that's, you can't really ask for more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that it had the effect that it did. I'm glad that people uh, responded well to it. I think initially I, I just wanted to experiment and do something weird and fucked up. Mm-hmm. And um, that was sort of my modus operandi. Um, and in the creative uh, process, my attitude is generally like, well, they'll like it or they don't or whatever. <laughs> it's just sort of like, whatever. Um, but it was nice to see that it had... Um, impact on people and it was also just it's just always a really beautiful rewarding thing to watch a bunch of brilliant people say something that you wrote out loud mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, so what are you all working on now next anything to plug into your social media here uh, well, I mean I'm, I'm not on social media at the moment so <laughs> to, but um, so this will just like go out into the ether as far as 
as far as I know. But your um, company has social media. <laughs> we do. That's yeah. right. We're like so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have. Yes, we do. We do. We have do. Social media. Yes. Long story short, oh, we're terrible at, at we're terrible at it, and it is not our forte as producers. But um, yeah, we'll they'll we'll put you'll post some things, gonna, right? I'm gonna take a little pic. And um, right now. Anywho, wow, that was <laughs> that was I not a great endorsement. Me? But um, <laughs> well, no, tell them about your. The show you're in. Well, I'm doing a play with um, Leroy, who we've... Social media. Hey, photo. This is, we could have done this. Yeah, we can do it. No, that's fine. Just, why, why not? We're multitasking. I forget. I'll forget. Um, there, I did it. <laughs> there, I did it. Uh, yeah, I'm doing a play with uh, Leroy Street Theater and uh, Seven Siblings. Yeah. They're they're doing the um, Antipodes. I almost said Antipodes. Like in idiot it is the antipodes by annie baker um yeah. so that's going to be at the assembly theater uh in april i'm so excited for that production oh, yeah. good anyone else what are you working on um i'm doing i i'm doing a lot of uh film stuff now I don't know. <laughs> Jill just finished a residency at TIFF where she worked on a screenplay and um, had a live read, uh, and it was very brilliant. Tell them the name of your screenplay. Uh, it's called Conception. It's a bad title that I might change. Um, so keep it just your makes eyes me think of Inception. To be but, titled. But mm. pregnancy. Uh, the screenplay by Joanne Sarazen. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just finished a residency at TIFF uh, working on a new screenplay, and... Um, uh, hopefully somebody will give me some money to make it. <gasps> Yay! That would be nice. And she had her movie at TIFF last year yes. as well. You're yeah. men with you. Yeah, yeah. I'm not doing anything. And they're like, there's all these cool things she's doing. <laughs> yeah. Joanne had a movie premiere at TIFF. Yeah, I did, um, yes. I had yeah. a movie called Tammy's Always Dying at TIFF this past year. So uh, keep an eye out for Tammy's Always Dying on some sort of streaming platform yeah. once it does... Uh, theatrical run just keep your eye out yeah there you go. <laughs> okay and are you on social media uh i <laughs> nope i <laughs> i'm just giving you the opportunity no no and we thank you we thank we you for it yeah i try i'm just a light <laughs> yeah uh i just uh finished producing glory's always Watching Glory, Glory's Always Dying, Tammy's Always Dying. Yeah, right? Watching Glory Watching Die. Glory Die. Glory's Dead. A Grand Canyon <laughs> with Love 2 Theater. Uh, um, so that just closed on Saturday. And then The Huns is going to England. So we will be touring, not touring, we're traveling to Brighton, to the Brighton Fringe Festival in London, England. And we get to perform The Huns a handful more times. So... That's the upcoming thing for me, and well, we don't have which boy doesn't have anything cooking at the moment, but you never know. Once the mood strikes us, I'm excited for Chris just to act in a play and not have to do anything else. He could just show <laughs> yeah. up and yeah. not because when uh, we do yeah. shows, we're That's... usually wearing many hats. So I'm thrilled to go and see him just act his little heart out. I'm, and... <laughs> I'm thrilled to only be acting as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, for more information about the Huns, you can check out our interview with Michael Ross Albert, who wrote that show, talked about it extensively in his interview. Um, obviously, that was what the topic was. That was right. out of line in any way. And does anyone have anything they'd like to add? Thank you so much. 
it's that really no it's really <laughs> yeah. wonderful i just like I, I genuinely appreciate you sending people out to watch independent theater it's really fucking cool thank you yeah you're welcome it, it is oh, no, it really is and we're so we're so glad to be here and just the recognition that this show has gotten is definitely mm-hmm. not something we thought would happen after the fact 